This is a Federal News Network podcast. Congress averted a government shutdown yesterday, and that's a very good thing, obviously, for a lot of reasons. But one of them is shutdowns can cause problems that drag out literally for years. Look no further than the employee pay issues surrounding the 2013 and 2018 shutdowns, which are still being litigated in court. Federal employee plaintiffs who worked without pay during those shutdowns argue they're owed damages under the Fair Labor Standards Act. The government argues that's wrong, because under the Anti-Deficiency Act, it would have been illegal to pay them during the shutdown. Lawyers are now filing briefs before the Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit, which is expected to sort out the apparent conflict between those two statutes very soon. Federal Employment Attorney Heidi Barakowitz represents tens of thousands of employees who sued for damages after both the 2013 and 2018 shutdowns, and she joins us now to bring us up to speed on those cases. Uh, thanks, Heidi, for joining us. And, and, yeah, let's start by just talking about where things stand with both of those cases, because we have been talking about these lawsuits for a very long time now. Both cases have been, the government has appealed both cases to the Federal Circuit Court of Appeals, um, which is the court that has appellate authority over the Court of Federal Claims. Um, And we are looking forward to getting a decision from the appeals court. Um, We feel very strong about our position that the government violated the FLSA and owes liquidated damages to the essential workers who had to go to work and were not paid on their regularly scheduled payday. And you'll correct me on this, but I think really the core legal issue the court needs to decide here is whether the Anti-Deficiency Act truly prevented the government from making those payments during a shutdown and and the liquidated payments after the shutdown. Is that a fair summation? Yes, that's correct. And so give me your argument for uh, for why the Anti-Deficiency Act doesn't obviate the need for these payments. Sure. So the Anti-Deficiency Act Uh, prevents government officials from expending funds that haven't been authorized or appropriated by Congress. But it doesn't negate the government's obligation um, under other statutes or contracts. There's cases going back to the 1800s where the government, you know, sort of, even though it had a lack of appropriations, was still held liable in court, it had to fulfill its obligations under different contracts that it engaged in. And the same principle applies here. The Fair Labor Standards Act, it's a Depression-era law that sets the, you know, the basic minimum requirements for paying employees in this country, that you pay someone a minimum wage for all hours worked and full time and a half overtime when you work over 40 hours a week. Um, And the Anti-Deficiency Act does not negate the obligations that the government has under the Fair Labor Standards Act. And so as a result, because they did not pay these employees, every time a, a payday came and went and employees did not receive the pay that they had worked for and earned, that's a violation of the Fair Labor Standards Act. Um, and the result is that the government owes these employees liquidated damages. Liquidated damages in this context meaning just double pay, right? Yes. It's the value of the unpaid minimum wage plus the full value of overtime that was worked. One thing that has happened since even the 2018 shutdown was Congress came back and passed a law in 2019, essentially ensuring that, that any government employee who suffered through a shutdown would get back pay. Does that change the legal landscape in your mind as far as the FLSA is concerned? Absolutely not. Um, Again, every time that a payday comes and goes and an employee is not receiving their pay, it's a violation of the Fair Labor Standards Act. Um, So even if the government is compensating employees 
after the fact or retroactively, um, the, the violation of the law has already taken place, um, and, and, and the employees have been harmed. There are countless stories of people. I mean, the last shutdown lasted 35 days, um, and it wasn't clear up until the very end when it was going to end. Um, there were countless stories of people who, you know, were running out of money, had to make really tough decisions about whether they pay their rent or they feed their kids or they pay for public transportation to get to and from work because they weren't, for four weeks, they were not paid. So I'm glad that federal workers will be insured retroactive payment, but that doesn't change the fact that the FLSA was violated. But there's no there's no disagreement, right, that the government would be legally prohibited from making payments to these employees during a shutdown, right? Well, there's actions that Congress could take, um, even in a lapse of appropriations, to facilitate obligations under the Fair Labor Standards Act. So, for example, in 2013, uh, the Department of Defense was one of the agencies that did not have funding during that government shutdown. And Congress passed the Pay Our Military Act, uh, so that active duty military and the civilians who support the military would continue to get paid during the shutdown. Um, if Congress can do that for the military, there's no reason that they can't do that for the essential workers um, who still have to go to work during a lapse of appropriations. Um, if these people are so vital that our country can't function without them, then absolutely steps can be taken to make sure that they're paid and they're taken care of during another lapse in appropriations. Besides arguing that that they really have no choice but to not pay these employees, I think another one of the government's arguments here is that the Fair Labor Standards Act doesn't explicitly address the date that these payments have to be made. I, I assume you disagree with that. If that assumption's right, tell me why. Um, absolutely. I, I very much so disagree with that argument. Um, it's very clear, court precedents uh, and the statute itself, a violation of the statute of, uh, of the Fair Labor Standards Act takes place. You look at the statute of limitations. When does the claim accrue? The claim accrues on the employee's regularly scheduled payday. So, for example, if an employer is paying paying an employee on time but only paying them a portion of the wages that they're due under the Fair Labor Standards Act, that violation takes place on the day that the payment is made to the employee. And similarly, a violation takes place if the payday comes and goes and the employee is not paid at all. And, and if you look at the legislative history, it's very clear um, that it's important that employees are paid on time just as a business needs to know when it's, its income is coming in so does an employee, so that they can pay their rent, pay their bills, budget their expenses. For individual employees, you know, this is obviously a fairness issue. They, they, if, if they're entitled to back pay and liquidated damages, they should get back pay and liquidated damages. Is there also a public policy um, argument in play here? Is there is there any argument that applying liquidated damages in situations like this would impose any kind of deterrent effect on Congress to avoid future shutdowns or future lapses in pay? Well, preface my answer by saying that the liquidated damages provision of the FLSA is not meant to be punitive. Um, it's there because there's a recognition by Congress that when you don't pay an employee 
those minimum wages, that overtime wage that they're due on their regularly scheduled payday, that they're going to be harmed. And sometimes that harm is hard to calculate. Perhaps you have interest charges, late pe uh, payment penalties, not to mention the stress that, and trauma that people went through not knowing when they would get their next paycheck. So the liquidated damages provision is meant to compensate employees for the harm they suffered. It's not meant to be punitive. Um, that said, I, I can certainly say for all of the clients that I represent, we want nothing more than to send the message that, you know, the federal government just cannot treat the federal workforce like this. We wouldn't stand by if a private employer did it, uh, and the federal government's no different. Um, so we hope that there is no uh, further shutdowns, no more budget impasses. But if there is, we hope that they take common sense measures to make sure that the FLSA is complied with and, em and employees are taken care of. Going back to where we started, a lot of employees involved here going all the way back to the 2013 shutdown. We now have two cases going up to the federal circuit. If these go your way and they decide that the Federal Labor Standards Act does apply, liquidated damages need to be paid, what's the soonest practical timeline on which your clients could actually get this back, get these liquidated damages? Well, in the 2013 case, uh, the government has calculated damages for all of the plaintiffs in the case. So that uh, we would hope and expect would be a very quick process uh, because uh, the damages have been calculated. Uh, the damages have not been calculated for the 35-day government shutdown um, that took place in December 2018 through January 2019. Um, but we've laid the groundwork based on the, the litigation in the 2013 case. We have went through the process of uh, the government gathering uh, the electronic information that it needs to calculate damages person by person. We've agreed on the formula uh, to use, and we've laid that groundwork. So I'm optimistic that the damage calculations process uh, in the 35-day government shutdown case will go much faster. Yeah, I was just going to ask about that, and you answered it. And Do you have any insight into why that process for the 2013 case dragged out so long in terms of figuring out what the damages would be? I mean, isn't it just a matter of multiplying by two for the back pay that you've already issued? Uh, well, litigation is never fast, uh, and the government, uh, it was quite the process to gather all of the information that they needed to calculate damages for 25, 26,000 plaintiffs that had joined the case. And the formula was a little bit more, we went back and forth several times about it, but finally agreed on what that formula should be. Um, so again, I, um, I'm optimistic that the, we've laid the groundwork, we know what the formula is, we know what the process is to get the information that we need to do the damage calculations. Uh, and the next time, the 35-day government shutdown case will go faster. Heidi Barakowitz is a federal employment attorney who represents tens of thousands of federal employee plaintiffs in two class action lawsuits dealing with the 2013 and 2018 government shutdowns. You can find this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. And during his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. 
Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? 
you have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. 
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.